and gentlemen, boys and girls, monster kids of all ages. I know I've used that line before, but I like it. Welcome to Monster Kid Radio, the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes the not-so-classic genre cinema of yesteryear. This episode specifically will be about the classic genre cinema, and I'll tell you why here in a second. My name is Derek M. Cook. I'm the writer, host, producer of this here podcast, episode 501. Man, you know, I'm still blown away by the fact that you guys and gals have supported me over 500 episodes and then some of Monster Kid Radio. Whether it's Monster Kid Radio, the Creature Connection, the little .5 and these episodes that I've put out, the special things that we've done. And heck, I'm even going to extend this to 1951 Down Place as well because really, without the listeners of a podcast, is it really even a podcast? I don't think so. And I think Monster Kid Radio listeners are the best podcast listeners in the world. Thank you so much for helping me hit 500 episodes and carrying me along to the next however many we go. Shall we say another 500? Will podcasts be around in another seven or so years? Well, we'll see. I have no intention of stopping because there are so many more other movies to talk about. And as of this episode, there will be three less movies to cover. Before talking about that, though, I want to just make a comment here. Uh, the last episode that I put out, it was actually episode 500.5. It was kind of a, a follow-up, an addendum to episode 500, because it turns out my monster in the machine managed to drop some segments from episode 500. So if you haven't listened to them already, check out the archives over at monsterkidradio.net and check out episode 500.5, and you'll get Mark Matsky's Beta Capsule Review and Kenny's look at famous, no, Kenny's look at Monster Kid Radio. So you'll want to listen to that because something that Kenny said really rang true with me and, and got me thinking about what I've been doing with my life. Okay, actually, what I've been doing with the podcast. Kenny opined that I've spent hours upon hours upon hours watching and praising and watching again and praising again movies like Manos the Hands of Fate or The Creeping Terror. Now, I know that you know that I really do know in my heart of monster hearts that these movies, by pretty much any standards, aren't good. But that doesn't mean they're not enjoyable. I actually really enjoy these movies. But how many times have I watched Manos or The Creeping Terror at the expense of watching something like Invasion of the Body Snatchers, or The Innocents, or The Incredible Shrinking Man. Not one, not two, but three movies that are considered bonafide classics by monster kids and non-monster kids alike. There are some movies in this genre slash subgenre slash niche that do cross over from being movies that we monster kids love to movies that are accepted by a more mainstream audience, call them the normals, call them, is it muggles in Harry Potter? I don't know. I don't read Harry Potter. But, you know, the, the people who don't normally embrace monster movies, they embrace some of these movies. And I have a feeling that these three movies that I've skipped, that I've avoided for whatever reason, are movies that are well-known enough outside of monster kid circles. And I think that maybe that was part of the reason why I never really felt really driven to watch these things. I feel like movies like The Invasion of the Body Snatchers got represented so many times. It's been remade how many times now? And it's been viewed and talked about by 
people much smarter than me. And it just became something that I never really put a lot of priority into watching. The same with The Incredible Shrinking Man. I knew this movie is another one of these bonafide classics. It is a classic science fiction film from the perfect era of classic science fiction films, the 1950s. This is when the best classic sci-fi was happening. If you ask me, and well, you turned into my podcast, I'm assuming you're asking me. This is the era of some of the best classic sci-fi ever produced. And yet, I never watched it. Again, I always felt like everybody else had it covered. And as for The Innocence, this is a movie that I've had people talk to me about repeatedly over the years. I've had it mentioned to me at the HP Lovecraft Film Festival. I've had it mentioned to me at Monster Bash. I've had it mentioned to me in conversations I've had with people here on the show. It's been brought up repeatedly. I think it even came up once at a screening of The Haunting here in Portland. I don't know how it came up, but it came up. And again, I think that kind of played into my decision or indecision, I guess, when it comes to watching this movie. It's been covered so many other places, but you know what? I've been depriving myself of these three films for way too long. Listeners, I know in last week's episode, I mentioned that I had stayed up all night editing the show to get it out to you guys and gals. I'm pulling another late night. I started watching Invasion of the Body Snatchers around uh, 8.30, 9 o'clock, Tuesday evening I got about 10 minutes into it and I realized okay this is a movie that I'm going to need to sit down and really watch so I took care of the other chores that I needed to take care of I wanted to make myself perfectly comfortable I actually popped some popcorn busted out don't tell my diabetes but I busted out a few M&Ms and had myself a diet soda and sat down to watch Invasion of the Body Snatchers proper and then I kid you not, I watched it again, immediately right afterwards. And now I sit down in front of my computer at 3.12 a.m. Wednesday morning, here to tell you, I loved this movie. And I'll get into more details about why I love this movie here in a little bit on the show. Between this recording that I'm making right now and Wednesday night, Thursday morning when I release the show, I will also have watched The Incredible Shrinking Man, which I even have on a German Blu-ray for crying out loud. Why do I have it in my collection if I've never watched it? As well as The Innocence. I'll watch these two movies here shortly and uh, I'll share with you my thoughts on that as well as my thoughts on Invasion of the Body Snatchers. We do have another beta capsule review from Mark Matsky. The guy just doesn't know how to miss a beat. I really appreciate Mark sending that in. And I even found yet another audio file that was sent in regarding episode 500. The monster, the machine, and I are going to have to have a nice, long chat. I'm sorry, Master Derek. But not today. I'm in too much of a good mood, and I am so jazzed after watching Invasion of the Body Snatchers. And I'll tell you all about it right after this. Here, in this primitive river bottom wilderness in southern Arkansas, along with deer, duck, crane, and beaver, lurks a creature that walks upright. Whether it is a man, a monster, or a myth, no one really knows. What we do know is the people around Falk, Arkansas, say they have seen such a creature nearly 250 times since 1954. 
and that this creature, whatever it is, emits one of the most terrifying sounds ever recorded. be true, you know. There could actually be a man named Barnabas Collins, and he could actually be a real vampire. <laughs> House of Dark Shadows from MGM. See how the vampires do it. Rated GP, all ages, parental guidance. And before we get too much further into this episode, just as a heads up, I am going to be talking about these three movies, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, The Incredible Shrinking Man, and The Innocents, and I will be mentioning a few minor spoilers. So, consider this your one and only spoiler warning. But, will you tell these fools I'm not crazy? Make them listen to me before it's too late! Listen to me. Please, listen if you don't, if you won't, if you fail to understand, then the same incredible terror that's menacing me will strike at you! from another world, spawned in the light years of space, unleashed to take over the bodies and souls of the people of our planet, bringing a new dimension in terror to the giant super scope screen. It's whatever intelligence or instinct it is that can govern the forming of human flesh and blood out of thin air is fantastically powerful, beyond any comprehension. A cursed, dreadful, malevolent thing was happening to those he loved. It isn't just an ordinary body, is it? I never saw one like it. It looks unused. The sensational star discovery of the view from Poppy's head. And now an undreamed of horror makes her life and love a vortex of fear. Jack! <laughs> Suddenly, while you're asleep, they'll absorb your minds, your memories. I don't want any part of it. You're forgetting something, Miles. What's that? You have no choice. From city to city, an incredible hysterical panic spreads. As the unimaginable becomes real, the impossible becomes true. Stop and listen! Stop and listen to me! Listen! Listen! Listen to me! They're not human! Okay, I want to talk a little bit about my background with Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which actually begins with a horror film that was released in 1982 that I probably had absolutely no business watching when I stayed the night at my friend Robert's house in grade school. Robert and I got a chance to watch a couple of movies. His dad went out to rent some movies. He brought them over, and we watched a couple of movies that night. Uh, we watched Meatballs, the summer camp movie with Bill Murray. 
which I don't have a lot of memories of. I suppose if I went back and rewatched the movie, some of it would be familiar to me, but I've never watched it since. And then we also watched Halloween 3 Season of the Witch. Now, my parents were not down with me watching R-rated movies. Robert's parents didn't really mind as long as they had seen the movies before and they kind of knew what they were getting into. They didn't mind if their kids watched R-rated films with the exception of the youngest son. And I do remember that while we were watching the movie, I noticed that Robert's father would gesture to Robert's mother that something particularly graphic was about to happen on screen. So Robert's mother would try to distract Robert's little brother from seeing what was happening on TV. And I learned pretty quickly that this was happening. So being the precocious monster kid in training that I guess I was at the time, as soon as I noticed Robert's father starting to, you know, gesture at the mom, that meant I needed to watch the screen closely because something gross was about to happen and I wanted to see it. And it, well, it messed me up. Uh, I was pretty terrified of it. It really, um, yeah, it did a number on me. But I learned later on that Halloween 3 had a lot of references to Invasion of the Body Snatchers, from Santa Mira being the location where this all happened, to Tom Atkins looking at the camera saying, they're coming, they're coming, just like Kevin McCarthy did. And I think they even watch part of the movie, or you see part of Invasion of the Body Snatchers on a television being played somewhere in addition to a commercial for Halloween 2, which is a weird kind of continuity thing. Although Halloween 3 being in continuity, is what, that's a whole different conversation that's probably not even appropriate for Monster Kid Radio. But I knew about the connections. And then I also knew that the movie had been remade in the 70s. Guess what? I've never seen that one either. <laughs> I know I probably should. I know it's got Leonard Nimoy in it. I know a lot of people actually prefer it to the one from 1956, but I've never seen the 1978 version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. I need to correct that. I know. I did see on video, maybe even in the theater, the 1993 version of the film Body Snatchers. And I remember wanting to see that one because I thought... Gabrielle Anwar was kind of cute. But beyond that, this was in the 90s when I was able to see R-rated movies by myself, and I was working at a video store in the time as well, so I do remember the videotape being on the store shelf and that sort of thing. And I kind of sort of remember some of the moments from the movie, but again, I've only seen it the one time. And then I didn't see the one in 2007. Is that the one with uh, Nicole Kidman? I think so, but I've never seen that one either. So yeah, let's back up here. Uh, the 1956 film, it's something that I just never bothered to get around. I talked a little bit about that at the beginning of the show and, you know, I, I knew about its connection to Halloween three, which really did a number on me. And I think maybe that subconsciously that might've also played into my, um, indecision or, or inability to make myself watch the movies that I had some, lingering issues regarding Halloween three. And I've gone back and watched Halloween three since I've even seen it on the big screen, but yeah, I just never really made it a point. Also, the thing is Kevin McCarthy, I, he's a great actor. I think he's great, but he didn't do a lot of these kinds of horror movies or science fiction films. He did a handful, but he really did so much more than just quote unquote, just sci-fi or fantasy or horror movies. So it didn't really have that connection either for me. Like, oh, hey, it's a John Agar film. I got to see every John Agar movie or it's Nick Adams or, or even Karloff or Lugosi or any of those guys, Lon Chaney, you know, anything like that. Kevin McCarthy was just a guy who happened to make a 
monster movie once and then went off and did other things and would kind of come back to it every once in a while. And Don Siegel as a director, he didn't really mean much to me either. He probably should have. I mean, he's a great director. He's a fine director. But again, somebody who just didn't mean much to me as I was developing as a monster kid. Sometimes younger Derek made stupid decisions and really had a faulty way of thinking about these things because younger Derek should have gone out of his way to watch this film because I got to tell you, listeners, Invasion of the Body Snatchers was really, really good. Like, I'm obsessed with this movie right now. Like I said, I've watched it twice in a row, back to back, with only enough time in between to take a bathroom break. I really enjoyed this movie, and I'm staying up now. It's, what, 3.25 in the morning at this point to talk about this. I've got a recording tomorrow morning in less than nine... Oh, wow. Less than six hours. But it's Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Everything about this film, from the way Santa Mira is constructed, it's a fake city, obviously, but the way Santa Mira is laid out, to the way the uh, the small town is portrayed, to the way the doctor comes in, just a look at the way doctors and the medical profession was treated in the small town America in the 1950s. I mean, that alone was fascinating to me. The relationships between the doctor and the girlfriend and the secretary and the writer buddy of his and just all of these people are full-fledged characters to me. I bought the relationships right away, which makes what happens throughout the movie more and more tragic. That as the movie progresses, everybody that Dr. Bunnell knows is being replaced by a pod person as the movie progresses he becomes more and more alone and at the very end when he becomes completely alone it's heart-wrenching it is a gut punch that maybe i'm having a little bit of a hard time recovering from which is again why i watched the movie a second time i want to hang out with these characters before the pod people take over i want to spend time being seen by Dr. Bunnell. I want to hang out with Jack and, and talk about writing with him. I want to go have a drink and I want to say hi to the police chief. Everybody in this movie felt real. There's a reality to what's happening here at the very beginning of the movie. And then as we progress, even though the movie's called Invasion of the Body Snatchers and the title kind of tells you what's about to happen and me coming to it however many years later, what, 60 plus years later at this point, I kind of knew what was going to happen. So I was watching for everything and wondering if every little thing that was happening on screen was a clue. When the one woman asks if she needs help finding her glasses, to the guy getting cut on the hand, are all of these signs, are these clues, are these tells? Not all of them were. And I think that made the movie even that much more enjoyable for me because now it's making me question everything about the reality of the movie. That's not a result of what the filmmakers did at all, because they didn't know that some dude who produces a podcast after they asked what a podcast was, was going to be watching this movie in 2020 and wondering about why he hadn't watched it anytime sooner and obsessing over it. It's an accomplishment. It's a, it's a feat. This is one of my favorite movies that I've discovered in 2020. I want to go and read the original material. I understand that Jack Finney is the writer here, and it was originally written and published as a serial for a magazine, which is kind of cool. 
I'd like to go back and track that down, see if I can get my hands on it and read that. I'd also like to go and watch the 1978 film. I know I need to, and maybe even go watch the one from whenever Nicole Kidman did that. In fact, what do you guys and gals think? Do you think maybe I should do an invasion episode where I bring some people on and we talk about all four versions of the film? Would that be interesting to anybody? Or would it be overkill? Whit Bissell is in this movie. Whit Bissell is the man. Whit Bissell is one of my absolute favorite character actors when he turns up in these classic and sometimes not so classic genre pictures. He's one of my favorite Dr. Frankensteins in I Was a Teenage Frankenstein. He's one of my favorite ancillary characters in all of the Creature from the Black Lagoon films because he was in the first film there. Anytime Whit Bissell turns up in anything, you've got my attention. He feels like to me he's the American version of Michael Ripper. Michael Ripper being the character actor that turned up in so many Hammer films and other British genre films. Whit Bissell, yeah, I'm comfortable saying that. He is the American Michael Ripper. He turns up in it. And you've got Richard Deacon as this other doctor in the opening and closing sequence. Richard Deacon's in the movie. (laughs) Richard Deacon's one of these guys that I knew from television. He was on so many episodes of so many television programs that turned up on Nick at night. You know, back when Nickelodeon used to show old sitcoms in the evening. On top of that, he would turn up in a handful of the live action Disney films, which were films that my parents really encouraged me and my brother to watch while we were growing up. That these movies were somehow safer, well, because they were Disney and G-rated, than any of the other less than Disney movies that little Derek was interested in checking out whenever they went to the video store. So I was very familiar with this guy too. And to see this guy, this guy that I associate with wholesomeness in a, I guess for lack of a better term, monster movie, you've got my attention. Something else that had my attention here, you guys and gals know I love my film scores. So I'm paying attention. I'm watching who did the film score to this film. The credits are rolling, and I see what I think is one of the absolute coolest names for a film score composer ever. Carmen Dragon. I don't know anything about Carmen Dragon, but boy, do I want to know something about Carmen Dragon at this point. I look at his filmography, and I don't see any other genre pictures, so to speak. Looks like he did a lot of drama, maybe some comedy, that sort of thing. A little bit of television, but... This was his final feature film. I'd like to go back and check out some more of his work, if it's available out there. As I look at his filmography, I see that he did things like Mr. Winkle Goes to War. You know what? That's not a title of a movie that I would ever think I'd go try to track down, but hey, Carmen Dragon did the score for it, so now I want to see it. It looks like the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers is available on Blu-ray. In fact, it looks like it's put out by Olive Films, which... Normally, I'd say, eh, okay, whatever. They put out bare bones releases. No, I'm looking here and it looks like they've put out a Blu-ray with two audio commentaries, a visual essay, a whole bunch of shorts. I'd like to get my hands on this. And if I'm ever in California, anywhere near where they shot this film, I want to go because I want to visit Santa Mira. Also, apparently there was a version of this released in color at one point. And the color version has about five extra minutes of footage of something. I I don't know anything about that. Do you guys and gals know anything about this? Is it something I should really go out of my way to track down? Why am I asking? You know I'm going to go out of my way to track it down. I loved this film. Listeners, I'm sorry. 
I feel like I owe somebody an apology. I don't know who. Maybe it is you guys and gals I owe an apology to. Maybe it is the memory of Don Siegel and Kevin McCarthy I owe an apology to. Dana Winter. So good in this movie. I, oh, this one did it, man. You know what? I would happily watch this movie two more times instead of Incredible Shrinking Man and The Innocents. But I'm not going to because I've made the decision that I need to watch these other two movies. But first, I need some sleep because in six and a half hours, I'm recording with Steve Sullivan for next week's episode of Monster Kid Radio. So if you excuse me, listeners, I will be back later on to talk about my experience watching. Let's see. Let's finally break out that Blu-ray of The Incredible Shrinking Man. The Long Hair of Death. Our story takes place at the end of the 15th century, a time when the powers of darkness were at their strongest, and man lived in fear of the unknown. A time when witch-burning was a common occurrence, a public spectacle. The Long Hair of Death. A film that will chill your spine and keep you gripped in your seat as you watch one of the most incredible stories of all time unfold before your eyes. You will see how the curse of a dying witch comes true as a village is ravaged by the plague and a man is hounded by his conscience and driven to commit one foul murder after another as he tries to satisfy his warped ambition. The Long Hair of Death. Jolt of terror with two of America's most blood-chilling science fiction shockers, Island of the Burning Band and Godzilla's Revenge. In this quiet setting, a tale of prehistoric horror is about to unfold with a science-battling awakening of long-gone giants. each other for the conquest of our planet. See the giant spiders spin their web of fear around their enemies. Godzilla's revenge knows no limit. No end. No stopping. See man's last attempt at saving humanity from destruction and Godzilla's revenge. And on the same shock build program, Island of the Burning Dam. What is that strange noise and burning white heat that drove people to their death? I have been convinced that this island has become the center of an invasion. The central landing point for beings from another planet. Ah! 
What happens when an unknown power from outer space uses our radar signals as life-saving beacons to bring it to Earth to consume our energy? Island of the Burning Damned, an island desperate for help. getting smaller. There's no medical precedent for what's happening to you. I, I simply know that you're getting smaller. I want you to stop thinking about us, our marriage. Some awful things might happen. As long as you've got this wedding ring on, you've got me. This is Orson Welles speaking. I have 45 seconds to tell you about something I think you'll remember the longest day you live. It's about a man named Scott Carey. A few months ago, he was six feet, two inches tall and weighed 190 pounds. Today, he's two inches tall and you can hold him in the palm of your hand. Now he lives in a world where he must fight for his life, a world where a friendly house cat is a predatory monster. Incredible, because it's almost beyond imagining. Incredible, because every hour he gets smaller and smaller. Incredible, because every moment the terror mounts. to do these three movies for this episode of Monster Kid Radio, it was not my intention to do them in order of theatrical release. Just a happy accident. Invasion of the Body Snatchers, 1956, and then this movie, The Incredible Shrieking Man from 1957. Now, this is a bonafide universal film. It feels very universal, partly because the music is just really a collection of stock music from various film music libraries that Universal owned, and I did recognize some of the music a little bit here and there as we went along. This is a first time viewing for me, just like the other ones in this episode. And like I said, I've had this on DVD, excuse me, I've had this on Blu-ray for a very, very long time. I'm sure that you guys and gals, or at least some of you are like me, in that you pick up movies that you know you want, that you know you want to watch, you just don't get around to watching them right away. And this is one that's been in my Blu-ray collection, my movie collection, for over five years. <laughs> I picked this up from Germany's version of Amazon in June of 2015. So I've had it here for a long time. I think I picked it up around the same time I picked up Revenge of the Creature on Blu-ray from Germany as well. And that one I had watched. It actually came with the red and blue 3D glasses, so you could watch it in 3D if you wanted to. And both of these Blu-rays are pretty cool because they both have little interviews with Jack Arnold. I'm not sure what the source of these interviews are. I don't know if it was a documentary or a retrospective or what, but you could tell both 
featurettes featuring the director came from the same source because it's all in the same office. He's wearing the same outfit, that sort of thing, talking about the films and what he did to go through, making them storyboards, all of that. And it's fascinating. I don't know much about Jack Arnold in terms of his process. I know his output. I'm a big fan of what he does. But in terms of what he did to get into that, I, I don't know. I'd like to learn more. But anyway, the Incredible Shrinking Man. You know, I don't know if it was the high that I'm on from Invasion of the Body Snatchers or what. But while I do appreciate a lot of this movie, I, I really enjoyed Grant Williams. I mean, he is a phenomenal leading man in a genre picture. And it looks like he's done a handful of other things as well. Some things that I probably already have seen. I'd like to check out more of his work because he really did carry the picture. He had to. There are long stretches of this movie that he says nothing. It's all just him action trying to figure out a way to survive in this new world he keeps finding himself in as he gets smaller and smaller and smaller. Again, just like with the invasion of the body snatchers, the title gives it away. You know what you're getting. And I think this is something that Universal really kind of did in the 50s. I think you saw it with more than just Universal, actually. You'd see a title just kind of give away the gimmick or the gag or whatever the big reveal is. Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Gee, I wonder what we're going to find out in this movie. The Incredible Shrinking Man. Hey, there's Grant Williams, first man we see on screen. Yeah, he's going to shrink. So that suspense was taken away. So I spent a lot of the time just kind of watching him and watching how they were shooting him against the background with other actors and actresses, that sort of thing. And that I found really well done. Very interesting. I think there are some subtle things that are done and some not so subtle things that are done that really pushed the reality of this man who, for whatever reason, is shrinking. And I appreciated that quite a bit. Uh, you know, this one just didn't hit me as hard as Invasion of the Body Snatchers did. I appreciate that there's a cat. Love me my cats. Would have preferred the cat not become a villain. Also, I don't think I'm all that comfortable with, according to various sources, 24 tarantulas dying during the production of this movie, but, you know, different time, Hollywood history and, and all of that. I think that the effects overall, though, do hold up. I think the shrinking effects, the forced perspective, I assume there's forced perspective in here, the, uh, not green screen. It looks like they did the same kind of technique they used for things like the invisible man with like a black velvet background for a lot of things. It really works. And you see Grant Williams condition deteriorate throughout the entire film. A little uncomfortable that he's, you know, almost developing or trying to develop a relationship with another woman right in the middle of everything going on. I understand that that's from the original story or at least the original script that there was this, connection that he had with her and maybe even a little bit further than what we saw in the film. But I'm, I'm not too comfortable with that. But then he did kind of check out of his marriage pretty much. I mean, he was trying to get out of it as soon as he realized medically that the doctors also saw that he was shrinking. So I don't know. Did I like the movie? Well, of course I did. It's a classic. It's Jack Arnold. It's universal. It's got everything that you want from a science fiction movie. It doesn't have the science lesson that Jack Arnold usually puts in his movies, but that's okay. We had enough science-y talk happening during the medical test sequence with the paper spectomograph and the proteins and the K-lids, plids, so plast, 
to X-ray, whatever that all was, that gobbledygook, uh, <laughs> the medical techno babble. So we got a little bit of that in the film. So I think we're okay there. Overall, like I said, I enjoyed the movie. I liked the performances a lot. Grant Williams, stellar performance. And the doctor, William Shallert. Dude, this guy, this guy. Lost him about four years ago, but from what I understand, he was a super nice guy if you ever had a chance to meet him at a convention or just in general. And he played a lot of these types of roles in these types of movies, so much so that Joe Dante made sure he got him for matinee when he made that film, the movie within the movie, Mant, where he plays the doctor that initially treats the person turning into a mant. Plus, he was on an episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, so, you know, I'm all in there, too. (laughs) I didn't go into this thinking that I'd be ranking the movies that I'm watching today, but I definitely would rank this in a solid number two spot with Invasion of the Body Snatchers being right up there. I did feel, and I know this is intentional if you look at some of the material that's come out about this movie since, that this movie, once he gets so small that everybody assumes he's been killed, it just kind of meanders a little bit. It's very, here's a scenario, here's a scenario, now what's he going to do? But there's no real plot moving things along outside of he's going to survive. Because what he's trying to do to survive is in a confined space, the basement. Even though it's huge to him, as an audience member, it's still a basement. And I think because of that, it didn't feel as life and death as it could have. I think by having the wife and brother come into the basement to check the leak on the water heater, just further established that, yeah, hey, this is just a basement. Maybe a little bit more could have been done to make it seem even more terrifying and foreign and strange new world for the Grant Williams character. But this movie's over 60 years old, and who am I to armchair director this thing? It really is good. It's, it's been included in the American Film Institute's Hall of something or other. How's that for good podcasting, huh? And as a fan of Jack Arnold, I'm so happy that I finally got a chance, made a chance to watch this. While I don't know if it's on Blu-ray in the United States, it looks like you can at least stream it in high definition from Amazon. So at least there's that. It's not one of these movies that you can't get your hands on. And of course, there was a DVD release as well. It was interesting, though, when I was reading up on this film after having watched it, It looks like they really sat on releasing this movie to the home market because the incredible shrinking woman was something they really wanted to make happen. And that's something that I did see. I have a lot of memories of watching that movie over and over and over again on Showtime or HBO, one of these channels as a kid with Lily Tomlin. I think I probably experienced Lily Tomlin in this movie long before I knew about her history with Saturday Night Live. Um, is that a good movie? Well, I don't really remember a whole lot about the movie. I know there's a gorilla for some reason. I know there's a sequence where she gets stuck in a garbage disposal. Um, and I think at the end, there's a complete reversal of what's happening to her. But yeah, I don't remember much more about the movie. It has absolutely nothing to do with The Incredible Shrinking Man. The Incredible Shrinking Man seems like a one-and-done kind of deal, even though it looks like at one point they were developing a sequel where the wife starts to shrink and he gets even smaller and gets into like a microscopic kind of thing, which 
would have been fascinating to see how they pulled that off back in the day with the special effects they had there. That would have been something to look at. Not that this one isn't. Man, I feel like I'm kind of dancing back and forth. Did I like it? Did I did not like it? I did like it. Just not as much as Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Now, I'm going to get into the innocence here in a moment. But earlier today, today being Wednesday, I did receive some feedback from a friend of the show. Hello, Derek. This is Steve Turk over from the Diecast Movie Podcast. Calling to wish you a congratulations on episode 501. Yes, I didn't call it 500 episode because I knew you were going to be getting a lot of calls and I figured you're going to be doing a lot of editing and all the other stuff. And I figured, you know, what episode is more important than episode 500, but episode 501, because you now are one episode closer to 1,000. Of course, what episode would be better than 501, 502, and so on. And I just want to pre- I just want to say I appreciate your moving forward every step, going week after week, and getting those episodes out that all of us love to hear, your enthusiasm and your joy that you bring to each episode with each movie review and so on. As um, to what my favorite episodes of yours would be, I'm going to take myself out of the equation. And as I've always said, I think my favorite episodes of yours have been the ones with Scott Morris, um, Planet of the Apes, many other ones that you've done with him. Because I think the report the two of you have is basically as if you were two brothers from another mother. And it shows that you both have um, that camaraderie and that love of enjoyment of film with Monster Kid Radio, 1951 Down Place, and so on. And of course, Plan 9 by 9. Um, other episodes that I really love, um, the one you did with Infogothic with Alistair Hughes, because from that episode I was able to um, get in contact with Alistair Hughes, and him and I have become quite good friends, so it's like on a personal side. I really enjoyed that, and many of your other episodes, but those two guest hosts of yours are probably my favorite two um, that right now that I'm thinking off the top of the cuff. I'm looking forward to see what you do with the next 499 episodes on your way to 1,000. Hopefully you can go well beyond that and be doing this forever and ever. Maybe the ghost and machine can keep the things running even well beyond into the millions. Who knows where Monster Kid Radio will stop next. But congratulations on your episode. And of course, just remember, everyone, Conan is coming. Thanks for sending that in, Steve. Is episode 501 more important or better than episode 500? I I don't know. I mean, this is episode 501 where I'm just sitting here talking about a couple of movies all by myself. So, yeah, I don't know about that. But, you know, thank you for sending that in anyway. And as I said repeatedly in the last episode last week, I would not have made it to this point without everybody backing me up. And that includes you, Steve. I appreciate it. You know, we also have another message or a voicemail that was sent in that we didn't include in episode 500. Yeah, I've had to have another talk with the monster in the machine. Don't know why it was sitting on this message, but it finally coughed it up this week. So here it is. Richard, we're calling this special meeting of the Classic Horrors Club podcast to order. We have some very important business to take care of today. Why don't you tell us about that? We are here because our good friend, Derek M. Cook, over at Monster Kid Radio, celebrating his 
500th episode. And that podcast is one of the reasons really why you and I do our podcast. 500 episodes, that's a huge accomplishment. He has been doing this show since officially late May of 2013. I was there back in, in the, the early days when he was ending Mail Order Zombie and talking about what was coming next. He had an idea for this show about classic universal monsters and classic monster movies. And I was lucky enough to be a, a guest on episodes seven and eight. We talked about The Day the Earth Stood Still. That's when he was doing the two-part episodes. Was there at the beginning and, and have been along for every step of the ride since. We're here to celebrate 500 episodes of Monster Kid Radio. When did you get introduced to... Well, I was a little late comer, but I did go back. I have listened to every episode. I'm, I'm sure that's one of the reasons I became aware of you, Richard from Wichita, your participation in that, as well as the movie cast. 500 episodes, I just can't even imagine. I mean, we just hit 50, and I'm not a mathematician, but I think it would take us like 10 more years to reach 500 if we continued at this pace. So that's something that will probably never happen. I don't know. Maybe. Never say never. I got to participate a couple times also. I My first episode was 318. We talked about The Invisible Man Returns, and then I got to participate in Dan Simber and talk about House of Dark Shadows in episode 399. I haven't been on since. I don't know if I've rubbed him the wrong way, did something uh, wrong, made a faux pas perhaps, but you know, Derek, hey, I'd, I'd love to be on again sometime. Derek is in demand. Everyone wants to be on the show, and I think that's the fun thing about it. It's a perfect blend of what he produces every week. First off, top-notch production. He spends a lot of time and puts a lot of effort into the show. You've got the great surf rock music that he throws in there. You've got movie trailers, the guests and the conversation that he has in, in talking about movies. And he's always bringing somebody new on, somebody who is part of the ever-growing monster kid community that we have. I know he wanted us to say, you know, favorite memories, and uh, I don't really have a specific, but I did want to say that in general, looking back on the whole experience, I think Monster Kid Radio has introduced me to that level of B-movie that most people consider a bad movie. You know, B-movie, bad movie. To me, B-movies are always the best movies. Movies like The Brain That Wouldn't Die, Killer Shrews, I tend to not go towards those movies because I know their reputation. And I, I think, well, why do I want to spend time watching? But to hear Derek's enthusiasm and his guests talking about these movies, I tell you what, I have enjoyed each and every one of them. And I don't know that I would have done that without Monster Kid Radio. It's that conversation, two people talking about movies, discovering, as you say, those, those sometimes those hidden gems or maybe those movies you're aware of, but you've never actually taken the time to sit down and and watch. Once you do, you're like, wow, this is kind of cool. You know, why did I not watch The Killer Shrews before or whatever? I don't have any specific, you know, memory or favorite episode. I just enjoy listening to, to the conversation and discovering something new about a movie that I maybe have seen 20 times or maybe have never seen once. That's the wonder of Monster Kid Radio. I will just say congratulations, Derek, on 500 episodes. Here's to another 500 and more. We love you and keep on 
keeping on with Monster Kid Radio. Yes, congratulations. Thank you for everything you do. We appreciate it. This is Jeff Owens, and this is Richard Chamberlain from Kansas City Cinephile and monstermoviekid.wordpress.com. We will call this emergency meeting of the Classic Horrors Club to an end. And here you are making comments about my high production and the guests and the music. And here's an episode that has no guests and no music outside of the Monster Kid Radio theme music. And I was just noticing that there might be even a, a little bit of a buzz or a hum in the last bit that I recorded after Steve sent in his message about episode 501. Um, okay, I'll trust you that you like the production and value uh, here. And Jeff, has it been that long since I've had you on the show? We really, really need to correct that. I don't know why that's... Huh. Yeah, let's fix that. Let's fix that soon. All right? One thing that I've had a lot of people tell me personally, like through private messages on Facebook or Twitter, uh, even a couple of phone calls, is that Monster Kid Radio has inspired them to do something with classic monster movies, whether it's you know rediscovering a love for them, launching a podcast like you guys, writing about them, whatever. And it just, it means a lot to me to hear that. When I first started podcasting over 10 years ago now, when I launched my zombie movie podcast way back in the day, I had no idea this was going to become a thing, that it was going to be something that I've done for over a decade now. It's not something that I've ever could have predicted turning into this. I've always been the kind of guy growing up that if there's something that I really enjoy, whether it's reading fiction, watching movies, even listening to rap music. Uh, I, I want to somehow be involved in the creation of fiction, movies, or even rap music. And I really enjoyed listening to podcasts, and that made me want to make podcasts of my own. That's all I wanted to do when I got into this. I had no expectations it was going to turn into what has become for me. Podcasting has become kind of a lifeline in some ways for me. It's been a constant, it's been a consistent thing, and it's brought me so many amazing people that I can call friends and, yeah, brothers and sisters. It's just special. Podcasting as a medium is so unique. It's so much more than what I used to tell people it was. Radio on demand, it's so much more than that. It's one of the building blocks of a community. And that's, I think, my favorite thing when it comes to Monster Kid Radio. I didn't talk about this in the last episode. I didn't talk about what my favorite memories of the show are. And that's because I have way too many. I have met so many people through Monster Kid Radio and my other podcasts over the years. I can claim friends in multiple countries around the world. I can claim friendships across this country. I can claim friendships with people that I've never met, but I know the first time I do, it'll be like I've known them forever because I know them through podcasting, whether we interact through feedback that you send into the show or Facebook or email or Twitter or any of these other things. I don't want to get too down or morose, but this is a, a pretty difficult time of year for a lot of people. It, it typically is, you know, with the holidays and all that, you know, you see a spike or an increase in mental health problems, I guess, or issues. I don't know what the, the nice way to say it is, but you know, I suffer from depression normally. Anyway, it's normally under control. 
this year has been taxing on, well, the community for one, the world, you know, the, the country, all of it, but it's been pretty taxing on me too, as we move into the time of year that is stuffed with so many holidays. Halloween is the highlight and that it's all downhill from there. You know, I have Brenda's birthday, Thanksgiving, my birthday, Christmas, just one right after the other, right after the other, right after the other. And this year being a year that Brenda and I are going through the slowest divorce ever because of the pandemic and because I can't afford to find a place on my own and, and all that other stuff. It's been trying on me. It's been a really weird ride to go into the time of year that historically for the past 20 years, I've always gone into with gusto or as much as I can manage with enthusiasm, with a desire to spend time with those that I love and those who love me back and all that other stuff and not to get all too weepy and, and soft here, but it's been awkward at best and sometimes very difficult at worst. So to have all these comments come in about episode 500 and monster kid radio and what the show means to them, it's something that I needed to hear. So I really appreciate it. This is not a podcast where I talk about my feelings. This is not a podcast where I get too deep into my personal life. I appreciate that sometimes people want to hear about it, but I know that's not what brings people to the table. What brings people to the table are the monster movies. The thing is, it's the monster movies is what brings us all together and keeps us connected. So I don't know where I'm going with all of this. I just want you guys and gals to know that as much as I hear from people about how much they enjoy Monster Kid Radio and what it means to them, right back at y'all. Monster Kid Radio means so much to me because of you. Oh, boy. Um, you know what? I want to get to Mark Metzke's Beta Capsule review as well as Kenny's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. So we're going to dive into those here in a moment. And then after that, I'm going to round out this episode with a look at 1961's The Innocents. I am really looking forward to this one. Eternal punishment for anyone who opens this casket. The mummy. Is it dead or alive? Human or inhuman? You'll know. You'll see. You'll feel the awful, creeping, crawling terror that stands your hair on end and brings a scream to your lips. Ah! There's nothing on earth like the mummy. You will not remember what I show you now, and yet I shall awaken memories of love and crime and death. Now I know his horrible plan. He is going to kill her and make her a living mummy like himself. Oh, my God. 
am Dr. Lee Cushing. Welcome to my Chamber of Horrors. Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors is a serialized monster rally novel in the tradition of the classic Universal and Hammer horror films. It's written by Stephen D. Sullivan, the award-winning author of White Zombie, Daikaiju Attack, Manos, The Hands of Fate, and the original chill role-playing game. My goal is to recreate the thrills of the monster versus monster films that we all love. We'll have vampires, werewolves, mummies, psychic twins, and scheming madmen. And that's just in the first storyline. Now you can get Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors and other monster stories sent directly to your email for as little as a dollar a month. For just two dollars, you'll get all the chapters in advance, plus bonus stories and other perks. Sign up now at CushingHorrors.com or visit SDSullivan.com for a Patreon link. I do hope you've enjoyed your visit. Please come again. And remember, the chamber is always waiting for its next victim. Hello there, Monster Kid Radioheads. This is Kenny with a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. we're going to look at films featured in their own articles from FM31, published December of 1964. It is Boris Karloff's Mummy who greets us from the cover, painted by Maurice Whitman. But it is Tom Tyler from The Mummy's Hand whose picture graces a short article in that film, which is a transcript of part of the screenplay. Picture and text cover just one page. There is an interesting look at Jack Arnold's classic Monster on the Campus. It covers five pages and includes four photos. It begins with this. The time was 1958. If you were listening to your radio, suddenly you heard a screeching announcement that went something like this. It happens before your terror-tortured eyes. Campus co-ed becomes captive of monster created in college laboratory. Students become victims of mysterious beast in the terrifying story of scientific secrets discovered but not controlled. Monster on the campus. See the incredible aftermath of an innocent experiment that went wrong making every student in the college prey to the fang-slashing fury of a strange monster. You'll shriek with terror as you see it happen before your eyes, an unforgettable experience in horror. The latest entry in Hollywood's horror sweepstakes, they called it. For sheer shock value, they promised, and the shocks come hard and fast. Monster on the Campus is guaranteed to keep even the most jaded thrill-tale lovers riveted to the edge of their movie seats. As it unfolds its terrifying story of a college scientist who dares to delve too deeply into some of nature's most frightening secrets, Monster on the Campus gives Arthur Franz an opportunity to take his place in the Hall of Fame of Film Villainy. A synopsis follows, and then the article concludes with this. Horror touches in the film were handled by Russell Mady, ace movie cameraman. His eerie tricks, it was told, added immeasurably to the horror element of this mystery thriller. A gent who specializes in adding the gruesome pictorial touch to a script already replete with spine-tingling situations, it was reported. Medi created eerie shadows in the backgrounds and added other effects that are necessary and elemental tricks in horror picture photography. Jack Arnold, who directed The Incredible Shrinking Man, directed it, and David Duncan, who screenplayed The Time Machine, wrote the movie script. Watch for its revival on TV. Another film featured was the Italian action sci-fi not-so-classic The Giant of Metropolis. FM tells the plot of the movie with five pages and then entices us with five photos from the film. It looks like a sword and sandal pic, 
but it takes place 10,000 years in the future. Never heard of it? Check it out on the web if you're interested. Last but not least, a classic of classics is stretched out over eight pages and whets our appetite with seven photos. Alas, it is so classic it has actually been covered on MKR just a couple of episodes ago. If you want to hear more about FM's coverage of this fantastic film, so great Derek needed two guests to talk about it, check out MKR 497's look at The Creeping Terror. That is all for this week's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. We will have more next week for MKR. This is Kenny saying adios. Okay, okay, hold on a second here, Kenny. Hold on one gust. You're going to give me grief in the feedback that you sent about episode 500, which admittedly didn't get played until the weekend with 500.5, but you're going to give me grief about watching movies like The Creeping Terror and giving it so much attention, and I should have been watching movies like the movies I'm watching this week for the show, and you're going to give me grief about it, yet you're going to call The Creeping Terror a classic? Dude, you're giving me mixed signals here, man. (laughs) Hey, you know what? We've said this before, we've said it again. If the movie bores you, that's when it fails. Doesn't matter what the budget is. Doesn't matter what the production value is. If it bores you, that's the sign of a bad movie. And I have yet to find a movie that I've covered here on the show that has 100% bored me. So there. Anyway, Kenny, thank you. I wasn't going to respond to any of this, but then you made that comment about the Creeping Terror that I even went through and you recognize the music I'm playing right now? Yeah, that's from the Creeping Terror too. That's for you, buddy. Thanks for sending it in, man. Live from the land of light in Nebula M78, home of the mighty Ultra Heroes, it's Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review. On April 10, 1966, Ultra Q fans found out what was in Kanigan's Cocoon in its 15th episode to air. In the tradition of installments such as Grow Up Little Turtle, Kanigan's Cocoon plays as a light-hearted fable which introduces yet another iconic monster from the Subaraya stable. It all starts at a local landfill where neighborhood children have established a kind of trading post, haggling for snake skins, eggs, bicycles, anything of value. One of the older kids in the group loves money and is constantly on the lookout for spare change that is dropped to the ground. His name is Kaneo Kaneda, which is a double play on words as the Japanese term for money is Kane. At the landfill, Kaneo discovers a small cocoon-like object, and it sounds like there's money rattling around inside. He takes it home, only to be confronted by his parents about his growing problem with greed. Both mother and father warn him that if he doesn't change his ways, he'll become a Kanegan a creature with a coin purse as a head and a Martian body. However, the cocoon holding the coins has rapidly expanded, and when Kaneo climbs in to be with his beloved money, he climbs out a Kanegan, who has to eat money to survive. Three quick facts about Kanegan's cocoon. This is the first and only episode in which the three leads do not appear whatsoever. 
This is at least the second and probably the third time Masanori Nihei, Ito of Ultraman's Science Patrol, makes a cameo. And the monster Kanigan remains very popular and is currently featured in a cartoon aimed at the Japanese preschool set called Kaiju Step. For Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review, this is Mark Matsky reporting. Kanagan is one of my absolute favorite kaiju. I love the design of it. I love the way it looks. I don't know why. It just is cool. It's one of my absolute favorites. And I'm so happy we got to this episode, Mark. It is a weird episode. Like you said, the regulars don't really appear in here. But you've got Kanagan, and you've got this really interesting story about don't get too obsessed with money. It's just really neat. This kaiju is one of the very few vinyl figures that I have. I picked it up a few years ago when I realized I could get these things for like eight, nine, ten bucks on Amazon. So I picked this guy up because he's just flat out cool. He is probably of all the ultra Q, Ultraman kaiju out there. He's right up there in my top five favorite Ultraman villains. That actually sounds like a really cool episode. Maybe I should do like a top. Well, we do top threes around here. Maybe we should do a top three episode of our favorite ultra kaiju. I like this idea a lot. Mark, I'll drop you a line here in a few weeks. If you're up for it, it might be a fun episode to do. Although I know we've got the Legend of Boggy Creek waiting in the wings for us as well. So, you know, I talked about this particular episode of Ultra Q a little bit more in depth with my friends Kyle and Gretchen over at the Kaiju Cast back in the day, back in the day being like a year and a half ago. If you go to kaijucast.com and look up the episode called Ultra Q versus the Kaiju Cast versus Monster Kid Radio, you'll hear the three of us talk about Ultra Q and our favorite episodes. And this is the one that I talked about. Also, I did not know anything about this Kaiju Step cartoon. I went to go look it up. It looks like there are some on Facebook. It looks like it is legit that the Ultraman official YouTube channel actually has put these up. So I tried to watch one of the episodes. It looks like they're pretty short. They are in Japanese, so I turned on the auto-translate. And I don't know if this Kaiju is really saying to the others, I want to make a lot of pizza friends for one minute overwintering. Oh, this is my mom's baking. But whatever he's saying, he's adorable. These kaiju are so freaking cute. Ah! The Giant of Metropolis. For the first time, Filmdom has dared to explore the fascinating, mysterious story of Metropolis, the continent that reached its greatest splendor at a period now lost in the darkness of primeval time. The amazing story of an ancient people who achieved marvels of science, but used their discoveries as monstrous instruments of death for unattainable purposes. It is the story of Obro, a man gifted with prodigious strength and superhuman courage. He alone dared contest the cruel power of Metropolis. Yotar, a mad king, willing to sacrifice his tenderest affections to bring about the triumph of science. Mesede, incredibly beautiful, but subject to the ruthless hypnotic power of her father, the king, awakened to a new life of passionate, thrilling love. Elmos, heir to the throne, destined to receive unattainable eternal youth by means of an inhuman experiment. A motion picture which restates the eternal proposition, freedom or slavery, spirit or materialism. 
nature or science, love or hatred. The Giant of Metropolis. This is Jackie Ray Naaman Jones. I play Debbie in Monos, The Hands of Fate, and you're listening to Monster Kid Radio. There has never been a ghost story created especially for the adult moviegoer until The Innocents. <laughs> Do they ever return to possess living? 20th Century Fox, which presented Deborah Carr in Heaven Knows Mr. Allison, and such outstanding motion picture immortals as Snake Pit, Gentleman's Agreement, and Peyton Place, now gives you The Innocents. Based on the Henry James chiller of macabre evil. Brilliantly adapted for the screen by William Archibald and Truman Capote. The living. You can see. You must. The Innocents, produced and directed by Jack Clayton, the man who directed Room at the Top, turned into fearful reality by the magnificent performance of Miss Deborah Carr, with Michael Redgrave as the uncle, co-starring Peter Wingard, Megs Jenkins. I saw him staring. Who, miss? The same man, the man on the tower. The tower? But now, just now, he was staring past me into the house as if he were hunting someone. Oh, what's he like, miss? Oh, he had dark, curling hair and the hardest, the coldest eyes. Is he? Would you say he was very handsome? Oh, yes, yes, handsome, handsome and obscene. Do they ever return to possess a living? And when did you first see and hear of such things. Why, I made them up. Shall I tell you who taught them to you? I won't ever again, I promise. Shall I tell you who taught you the things you've done, the things you've said? Shall I tell you his name? (laughs) Perhaps the most controversial concept in human relationships ever presented on the screen. With one of the world's great stars, from the man who directed Room at the Top, a new and adult motion picture experience. Okay, I just finished up watching The Innocents. And I gotta tell you, it's been really interesting watching these three movies back to back to back like I have over the past two days. It's been a really long time since I've sat down to just kind of watch a movie for me, not for the show. And I know these were for the show, but this was just an experience that felt so much like me just kicking back with a monster movie, you know? Not that I have any issues with watching movies for the show. In fact, it's, you know, just part of it, and that's fine. I, I, I love it. But this was something a little different, maybe because there aren't any real guests on this episode outside of the, the segments or the voicemails that came in or, or whatever. It's just me riffing and rapping about some movies. This was a fun time, and The Innocence... It's a really good movie. I had no idea it was based on The Turn of the Screw. 
no clue. So when that showed up in the opening credits, I got a little excited because I just uh, a few months ago watched The Haunting of Bly Manor, the miniseries on Netflix, which was a follow-up to The Haunting of Hill House. Haunting of Bly Meyer was also based on Turn of the Screw. They had modernized the story a little bit. Well, kind of, sort of. I guess it's set in like the early 90s, maybe late 80s. But I mean, it's more modern than what we saw in The Innocence. And it was a little bit more multicultural as well, which I appreciated. So I did have a little bit of a... I don't know if it's culture shock, but just a little bit of a shock watching the 1961 film and seeing all these white people. Not that I have a problem with that. Just it was, it just needed to adjust my expectations a little bit when it came to this story. They also had changed some of the ages uh, of some of the characters in the Bly Manor series on Netflix. So again, there are some adjustment that took place there. But once I got over that, which I got over pretty quickly because the movie's just gorgeous. Once I got over that, it was really easy for me to dive in and just bury myself in the gothicness, the lush gothic of this film. I enjoyed this immensely i did sit down with some popcorn for this one you know maybe that's the key maybe that's what i needed to do with the incredible shrinking man is have some popcorn while i was watching it to complete the movie experience but i did sit down with some popcorn and a diet soda for the innocence and wow this movie looked gorgeous it was beautiful to look at the Cinescope format really worked. And from what I understand, there was some pushback against doing the film in Cinescope to begin with. But it looked amazing. I'm so glad they went with that because it just, wow. Wow. And I think because it was in Cinescope and it was so wide, it felt like it was trying to hug me a little bit more than all the others. Like it was trying to wrap itself around me. It's just kind of stretching out to get me, which is kind of what's happening at Bly Manor in The Innocence. There is some sort of force here that does not let you get lulled into complacency. You might have a moment here or there. You might have several scenes strung together and you think you're just watching a movie about a governess and a couple of kids that need a governess and, you know, don't really have the best relationship with their remaining family. But nope. A candle goes out. There's a loud noise. A window shutters back and forth. It gets you just when you're feeling a little lulled into this moment of you know what? This is just a really good drama. Bam! It gets you. Kept me on edge almost the entire time. The performances are great. Now, the kids in the Bly Manor series from Netflix, and I'm going to try to stop comparing it to the Netflix series, but those kids were really well cast, well directed. The characters were well performed. The kids in The Innocence, I also felt, were handled incredibly well. The performances were solid and spot on. When (laughs) Miles starts showing signs of being more than just Miles, it's creepy and unnerving without being so over the top and in your face like the Netflix series sometimes did. You didn't need the jump scares. You didn't need the in your face blam that you got from the Netflix series, even though I did just mention a second ago about the shutters and the windows going back and forth, back and forth with a loud noise or whatever. But the movie is so much more than that. It really just gripped you. It felt inky. You know, and what I mean by that is when you are using like an ink pen, a fountain pen, and it starts to leak and you get some ink on your finger, no matter what you do, you're going to spread that ink all over the rest of your hand and maybe even the other hand too. There's just something about the innocence that feels inky 
to me, no matter what you do to try to kind of shake the dread, the suspense, the, oh my, what's going on here, off of you, you can't. And by doing so, you're actually just spreading it around even more and making it even worse. I do remember that Kevin Slick recommended that I watch this movie a couple of times. We've talked about it and it even came up when I had him on the show not too long ago when we talked about the movie Burn Witch Burn because Peter Wingard is in that film and he's in this film too. Not as much, not as prevalent, but you know, it was cool to see him. I'd like to watch more with him. He's got a great face and a great delivery, man. His voice spot on. But of course, you know, he's not the lead here. The lead is really the governess coming in, Deborah Kerr. Wow. I don't think I've really seen her in much, but she goes from sweet and innocent to terrified, to being very concerned, to being active, to thinking maybe she's over-imagining things. The range here by all the performers really stuck with me. And because I'm a film score guy, I'm going to talk about the music because that's what I do. Everybody take a drink. The film score of this movie by, oh boy, George Auric. Did I pronounce that correctly? I don't know. I don't know much about this guy. Now, granted, he doesn't have a cool name like Carmen Dragon, but <laughs> the music was also very good. It just kind of hung out in the background. You never really notice it until you really need to notice it. So it really just kind of hung out there and added just that extra seasoning to what's going on with this film. Where would I rank this film? Of the three films that I'm talking about this week on the show, where do I put The Innocence? I say, man, that one's a tough call. It's so different than Invasion of the Body Snatchers and The Incredible Shrinking Man. It is so very different because those other movies, while they have some interesting things to say, especially Invasion of the Body Snatchers, they're still kind of fun sci-fi films. This movie expects a little bit more than just kind of a popcorn feel, you know? It expects more than just putting it on and maybe watching it passively even. It is an engrossing film. If I were to try to say which one of these films was the best made, the better made picture, obviously it's The Innocence. Obvious. I mean, hands down, there's no question. It's gorgeous. It's beautiful. It sounds good. It feels good. It is so good. Is it a movie that I'd go back and rewatch right away like I did with Invasion of the Body Snatchers? No, I don't think I could. I really don't think I could. I feel like The Innocence is one of those movies that I could watch maybe once a year, maybe twice a year, and it would leave such a strong impact on me that I'm good for a while. Whereas The Invasion of the Body Snatchers was really more of a, a ride. You're on and you're in and you're done and you want it again. Whether you need it or not, you know, that's another question, but you want it again. So yeah, I'd probably, if I were to rank the three of them, in terms of which one I'm more likely to watch again anytime soon, it's Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Then I would go to The Innocence, and then I would go to The Incredible Shrinking Man. I loved all three of them in different ways and in different capacities, but I did love all three of them. So, are we good? Are we square? Are we even? Can I go back to watching Manos and The Creeping Terror over and over and over again? I'm not that crazy. Come on. You know, I'm not going to do that to myself. Oh. Oh. (laughs) 
slightly different episode this week. Thank you for listening to the show and sticking around to the end of episode 591. Just a few bits of business keeping to go through before I let you go. We have the Saturday movie stream, the Monster Kid Movie Club, coming up on Saturday. The pre-show starts at 11 a.m., and then around noon, the movies themselves kick in, and it goes for at least seven or eight hours. It's Pacific time. It's all free. There's a live chat. It's on Twitch. You can either go to monsterkidmovie.club or just look up Monster Kid Radio, all one word, at twitch.tv. However you get there, maybe give us a follow, and if you're feeling like supporting the stream, you can always subscribe as well. Like I said, though, the movies themselves are free, and this weekend we are having a Boris Karloff weekend. The pre-show is Boris Karloff. All the movies, all the TV shows, yeah, I'm showing more than one TV show, all the TV shows are all Boris Karloff. I'm really excited for this big themed day that I just kind of stumbled into deciding to do. So come back for that. Like I said, it starts at 11 a.m. or noon if you want to skip the pre-show, all Pacific time. So that's coming up on Saturday. Then the following Tuesday is the Monster Kid Astronomy Club. Same website, but we're doing two science fiction movies and an episode of the BBC television program, The Invisible Man, as well as a 30-minute live chat about Star Trek called the Star Trek 30. So that's coming up on Tuesday. That starts at about 3.30 p.m. with the pre-show with the movie starting around 4 o'clock. And again, that's Pacific time. And we are showing a Christopher R. Mim film on Tuesday. And then next week on the podcast, in episode 502, we are finally getting around to announcing the winners of this year's Monster Rally Retro Awards, or the rallies as we call them, where we're going to talk about the winners. We're tabulating all the ballots from your guys and gals' votes when it came to who was the best actor, actress, director, movie, and monster of 1936, 1946, and 1956. Stephen D. Sullivan and I did record that, and it is going to go out on the podcast next week. Of course, this will all be mentioned on our website at monsterkidradio.net, where you're going to find links to everything else that we've got going on here. We've got our Facebook page and Facebook group. We have our Twitter, and we have our contact information. Um, Monster in the Machine. Read that off. Let them know how to get a hold of us. You can call and leave a voicemail for Monster Kid Radio at 503-810-5MKR. That's 503-810-5657. Or you can send an email to the podcast. MonsterKidRadio at gmail.com is the email address. That's MonsterKidRadio at gmail.com. Everything that we've talked about here in this episode is listed in the show notes, including links to Amazon if you wanted to pick up the movies that I've talked about for yourself. And if you are going to pick them up, please consider using that Amazon link because Monster Kid Radio is an Amazon affiliate and it helps us out a little bit when Amazon tosses us a penny or two every time somebody purchases something through one of those links. I appreciate all of your support. And speaking of support, we do have a Patreon page. I'm a little behind on getting a lot of the rewards out. And part of that is because I'm having trouble with my Dropbox. We use a Dropbox to store a lot of the material that I give out to some of the Patreon patrons that are at a certain level or higher, specifically the Monster Kid movie bingo card. That has not been put out yet because I'm having issues where I can upload things to Dropbox, but I can't share the link for them and the files are too big to just attach to an email so i'm trying to get that worked out once i get that worked out you guys and gals will get your bingo card for november and i'm going to try to work ahead and get the december one out as well you can learn more about our patreon campaign at patreon.com slash monster kid 
Radio. I think next year we're going to be tweaking the rewards again because I can't just leave well enough alone. So I just want to give you guys and gals a heads up about that. Again, thank you for any support you throw our way that way. I don't think there's really anything else to go over here at the end of the show other than just to thank you once again for being here. I know I kind of devolved into talking about the divorce again. I've been doing that a lot lately. I apologize for that. It's just been on my mind a lot lately, especially with like my birthday coming up tomorrow and everything else. Yeah, it's a thing. So anyway, my apologies for kind of going off the rails there. Let's talk more about monster movies in the future, like next week when we have Steve on to talk about the rallies and everything else we've got coming up through the rest of the year. And I guess for the next 499 episodes to get to that episode 1000. Oof. Between now and then, though, as always, Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 unported license. My name is Derek M. Cook. I'll talk to everybody next week. Ciao.